In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God. Today we celebrate the Sunday of the Holy Fathers and Mothers of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have just listened to a lengthy reading of a list of so many names of the ancestors of Jesus that it is extremely difficult to recall right now much more than a few of them. This is no surprise because we have just covered a heritage that took almost 2,000 years to lead up to the birth of Jesus. St. Matthew begins his gospel with a genealogy because Jesus Christ was not just a vision as in a dream or a fictional story unconnected to reality. The evangelist Matthew begins in this way because there is no doubt that Jesus Christ was a real person of flesh and blood. His ancestors are King David and the righteous Abraham. He is the fulfillment of all the elements of the Old Testament prepared for and that the Old Testament prepared us for and points toward. For 14 generations, the people of God were ruled by judges. These were the prophets giving the word of God to them. For 14 generations, the people of God, after their captivity, were ruled by kings. For 14 generations, the people of God were ruled by priests, offering sacrifices for the people. Each of these are different offices that connected the people of God to, and those who are of the faith of Abraham to their father in heaven. The genealogy brings us to Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who is the judge, the king, and the priest for all humanity. However, Christ's lineage does not only have men of renown and piety. It includes foreigners within the people of Israel, and even grave sinners. Unusually, four women are mentioned in the genealogy, Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Uriel's wife. This is abnormal, since the old, under Old Testament law, only the fathers should be listed. These were women in different ways, are, in different ways are people who appear out of place in the holy lineage. Tamar and Rahab and David with Uriel's wife all fell into serious and unseemly sins that none should follow, but they repented greatly. And Rahab and Ruth were foreigners that were not part of the bloodline. They were not part of that seed of Abraham in the physical sense. However, Rahab helped the men of God in Jericho and joined them. And Ruth chose to follow the God of Abraham and became the great-grandmother, even, of the King David. So why is it that St. Matthew seems to break this rule and includes these kinds of people? Ought we to be scandalized that they are dirtying up a pristine genealogy? Is the mother of God and even Jesus Christ soiled by their presence? No, let's not think this way. God is showing us that in his love for us, that we should not despair when we sin. Even though these people sinned and were separated from God's people, in ways all of us may sin or be separated from God, they are counted and included in the holy line from the Theotokos, which the Theotokos sprang forth from. She who is all pure and the very best that humanity could give to God also had great sinners as her ancestors, and Jesus Christ as well. Even though these ancestors of our Lord did these serious sins, these did not prevent our loving, just, and good God from deciding to descend from heaven and become a human being. We are sinners and we need a Savior that comes and rescues us. Even while we are sinners, God be began his earthly life as a child and lived in every way as we do, except he never sinned. 
God planned to save us in this way because he wants to make us his sons and his daughters. He never lets our turning away from him stop his promise. God calls us to repent for our sins. And miraculously, somehow in his wisdom, he responds by making even our weaknesses part of his divine plan to save all of us. God uses whatever it is that we have, if we give it to him, to reshape it in his goodwill. Christ, in becoming man, saves all of humanity, and that is all people. No matter how far they may have fallen, Christ is able to raise up those from their falls. God's plan is for all people, even those who seem like they shouldn't belong. Our God is not a God that waits for us. He's not a passive God. He is a God that intimately works with humanity to bring up his people as a parent, as a loving father who guides his children until they are mature. A people prepared and ready to join him in his holy work. That is what God does in his great works. This is how he prepares us to be ready for the time that the Son of Man would be born in the flesh. He wove the threads of these holy offices together from one generation until the next, until the fullness of the offering of humanity could be made in complete freedom and cooperation with God's own labors. He was patient, but yet he continued to work with his people. Just as a gardener or a metalsmith chooses a plot of land and some lump of metal to begin his craft, so God chose a certain people to teach his holy will. However, imperfectly, they fulfilled it. God adopted the sons of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob so that one woman could be born of holy and righteous parents. The righteous forebears of Christ, Joachim, a priest of God, and his wife, Anna, would dedicate their daughter to God, and this daughter would, without hesitation, trust God's word. This was God's great plan, to lead his people, to be able to offer him a pure offering. And through this, he would unite himself to each of us as a human being. This woman named Mary was dedicated as a child to God, and by her parents, she was dedicated as a child of God to her parent, by her parents, and raised unwaveringly to trust God with her whole life. She is the purpose for God's millennium-long work to cultivate and refine over 42 generations of people. These long millennium, God labored on our behalf with, with his people. His labors reached their pinnacle with the generation of her, the one pure and holy offering of humanity to God, the holy mother of God, Mary. The Most holy virgin gave her full yes to God's messenger. And it, it, because of this, she bore and gave birth to the Son of God, Jesus Christ. But this messenger, this, the angel Gabriel, then came to Joseph her betrothed husband, after he discovered that Mary, who he had not touched, had become pregnant. He began to feel tortured and upset in his soul because he was not sure how to treat Mary. The righteous man did not want her punished. The scripture calls him righteous because even in his doubt about her fidelity, he had compassion. But the angel calms his doubts and assures him that she was given a child by the work of the Holy Spirit. The angel tells him that when the child is born, people would proclaim him Emmanuel. And that, that proclamation, Joseph, by that proclamation, Joseph and all people would know that God is with us. It is this title that the, this little child 
that Joseph would become, Joseph would become and bring into the world Mary's, by Mary's birth giving in a cave in Bethlehem. It is this child who will save his people from their sins. And since Joseph was a righteous man, he listened to the angel and was obedient, an obedient servant of the Lord and did as the angel told him. He protected Mary and named his adopted son Jesus as the messenger told him to do. And in this way, God provided for Mary, just as he did for all the generations past. He provided for her a loving protector to guard the child, Jesus Christ, from the violent plans of the evil one. Since the time for God, the God-man's sacrifice would not come when he was a child, but at the fullness of time again. These are great mysteries. And St. Ignatius of Antioch, who we also commemorate today, describes these mysteries in a way that, is, that I would like to focus on. He teaches that even the unsure obedience of Joseph, we see God's preparation and the protecting providence. And Joseph's betrothal to the Virgin Mary closed Christ's birth in a mystery of silence. It hides it. Just as the death and resurrection of Christ were clothed before they were revealed to all mankind. St. Ignatius tells us, now the virginity of Mary was hidden from the prince of the world, as was also her offspring and the death of the Lord. These three mysteries of renown, which were wrought in silence, have been revealed to us today. Joseph preserved the mother of he who created the entire world and who would save us from the sins that destroy our very selves. And Joseph became the adopted father of the only begotten Son of God. What a privilege, even that his obedience brought him. How miraculous is the word that we have heard today. By trust and obedience, Mary received God in her womb, and Joseph became God's adoptive father. Adoption, this is central to the work of God's salvation. Christ's holy genealogy also lists those who were adopted in the faith of Abraham, not just by blood, as I spoke of the four women. They also were the forebears of Christ. And God promised to Abraham that his children would become as numerous as the sand. When God said this, he was not only promising Abraham numerous children and grandchildren. God the Father was also saying that those who were not related to Abraham by flesh and blood would count him as their forefather too. The genealogy we have heard today, all the way up to Joseph and Mary, is made up of both natural children and children according to the law. Christ descends from Abraham and David truly, and we unite to Christ at our baptism and in the celebration of the nativity of the Lord. We become adopted by him, and we join the faith of Abraham. His whole royal and priestly and prophetic heritage is given to us at our baptism. And the promises given to Abraham are fulfilled in the church, in those who take and join and count Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as their forebears, and their God as our God. We become that God's people. We become his people and join in God's labors for the salvation of mankind. We too are able to call Abraham by, this, by grace our father because we believe in his God. And we trust him in all things and in all circumstances. We trust that God that was born of the Virgin Mary, the Theotokos. God's promise is given by a spiritual adoption. 
which we also join, and as equal to those born of Abraham's flesh, and even greater. Anyone in the world that praises or thanks or glorifies God, the Son of God who took on our flesh, may join his grace-filled and divine plan, and his salvation is given to us. In our own small ways, in our repentant thanksgivings for his mercy, we can be obedient to where God calls us and trust his plan for us and receive Christ in the cave of our heart, even when we gaze upon some sort of action or event that seems to not make sense to us, as it didn't to Joseph. However, we can still worship and praise his birth when we come and celebrate the Nativity, and we are drawn close to God and anyone who follow, we are drawn closer to God than anyone who follows simply the old law or just by rote. Closer than anyone who thinks the laws of the flesh are greater than the laws of grace and mercy. This is a great mistake. For it is by the law of grace that we can call ourselves the sons and daughters of Abraham and join in God's promise to him, our holy forebear. And even greater than being Abraham's children, we are sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. We in baptism become his children and are given power to grow in our trust of God. In this way, we become a holy people. We join to Jesus in his birth, his death, and his resurrection. In that glorious future and final resurrection, we will be made perfect children of God, seeing and experience God's radiance in that great resurrection, where there is no sting or scent of death. In that place and time, there is only life abundant, given to each of us as our inheritance as the sons and daughters of God. Today, let us seek with joy the blessings and salvation he offers us. Come glorify and celebrate the Son of God's approaching birth that unites him to each of us. Prepare to receive him, and may each of us glorify the holy birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ, the fulfillment and pinnacle, and the continuous activity of God for us. Amen.